Hey guys, it's your Imagine Family. It's your host Mark Araki. Excited to bring you yet another episode of the podcast. This week, I had the opportunity of sitting down with Mr. Sam Wenjohi, CEO and co-founder at Popote Innovations. Sam and his team are building a solution to help business owners tackle the notorious problem of managing payment approvals and tracking expenditure. A quintessential entrepreneur, Sam originally founded a kitchen design business where he encountered the notorious challenge of managing payment approvals and reconciling uh, expenditure. And he could not understand why in a world with such mature financial management solutions like mobile payments and online banking, he was having to spend so much of his time doing the mundane tasks of reconciling expenses and approving payments. And he thought there had to be a better way. So being a solution-oriented tinkerer he is, he decided to solve his own problem, in which is the most authentic way to start any business. You as customer number one. Popote Pay is creating a new category. And category creation is great because you are the only one in the space, but also quite challenging because you must first educate the market on how to think about where you fit in their business process. I believe Sam and Popote are onto something huge as part of the digital connective tissue that will enable SMEs across the continent enter the 21st century. Mr. Sam Wenjoy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, long time coming. We've known each other for a while and uh, I've watched you build Popote from, from the beginning. And I'm excited about this one. So let's maybe just dive right into it and you can tell us, I don't want to, I want to take the risk of saying what you do. So I'll let you introduce Popote, Popote Payments. Um, so you're the founder and CEO. What do you guys do? What is Popote Payments about? All right, Mark. Yeah, it's good to be on this podcast and uh, hopefully share something that's useful for the audience today. So uh, Popote, uh, the company is Popote Innovations uh, Limited here in Kenya, and our solution is called Popote Pay, rather our flagship solution. So what we do is help primarily businesses um, handle their payments and expenditure in a way that uh, really adds value to um, the best, you know, the best ways of really running a business. So businesses are complicated when they make payments. There's a whole bunch of other stuff that goes around that from budgeting to collaboration on creations and approvals to accounting, reconciliation, analytics. So we offer a platform which handles all that for businesses and really just makes them uh, spend money in a much more a clinical, viable, and sustainable way. Mm. Well, that's that's quite a chunk of solutions built into what I believe is, is is a single platform. And you know, the first thing somebody would ask is, is this an accounting system? Is it, uh, you know, because that's the first thing that comes to mind. And and how would you characterize that? So just to give the audience a sense of, okay, when and how and why would I use Popotech if I have already got an accounting system? or an ERP or something of that nature, right? So help us understand how it intersects with the existing system, specifically the accounting system. Or is it an accounting system on, in, on its own? With other stuff? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's always difficult when, when, when you have a, an innovative solution and uh, people want to box into, into, into the categories that are already known. Right. So it's really a new category that, um, globally, it's really only come up in the last um, four or five years. Okay. And what it's becoming better known now is a category that combines spend management and payables automation. So we tend to call ourselves a spend management and payables automation company 
or solution and how it differ from payments. Uh, so payment solutions are widely known, right? Your, your, right. your banking app is a payment solution and PESA is a payment solution. And then on the other side, you have accounting solutions. So your, whether it's your QuickBooks, your Sage, um, your SAP, or maybe just a, uh, Excel-based tools right. that are used for accounting or even paper-based uh, accounting for that reason. So uh, we are neither of these. What, are, what spend management and payables automation solutions are doing are combining the act of payments, digital payments, and then layering them with the functionality that typically may happen on an accounting solution. Mm -hmm. But now it happens in real time at the level of a transaction. So as you make a payment, you're able to perform the accounting rules right on that payment um, at the point of payment. So imagine you're at a, at a shop and you pay for, you know, some goods on the app, you straight away go into categorizing it according to your DL of accounts, booking it into any job or project that need to be costed under, mm -hmm. booking it under your branch branches or departments and all these other cost centers. Mm. attaching its receipts, booking its VAT and, or withholding tax or other components, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So there's a bunch of okay. stuff. And then mm. that gets saved in the system and the system is then able to generate statements, analytics, et cetera. However, mm -hmm. we then integrate back into accounting solutions that are used by companies because mm -hmm. uh, there's more, more than we do that those systems then would get into because we are not complete ERP system. Mm -hmm. So, so maybe to be a little bit more succinct in what I'm trying to say is it's a new category of, of solution that replaces the, the conventional and digital ways of making the payment mm -hmm. and then, uh, integrates into the existing accounting and ERP solutions but on its own has a level of accounting that it does provide, which is useful to right. most people. Yeah. Fantastic. So it, it, this speaks to me, it sounds to me like it, it enables real-time business operations uh, and, and reporting and approvals. So is there like a category uh, sector where it works best? Right. Well, it, maybe you would say, yeah, in this particular type of business process, this is a killer app. Right. And of course it, it kind of covers others. So is there any, any kind of market segment that you say, yeah, this is, this helps with these types of business process. And most businesses will have similar operations, but, you know, giving an example of where it fits perfectly, um, if, if that was a thing. Right. Yeah. So businesses all have to make payments. Yeah. So that's ubiquitous. So, um, and businesses generally are paying either by cash or they're writing checks or they're making online transfers, or they're using a bit of mobile money. Mm -hmm. uh, a few cards as well. So that is a very fragmented way of making payments, which means that accounting is going to be difficult. You know, you pay a bit of cash here, you write a couple of checks, you do a few bank, tra bank transfers, your accountant sends a bit of M-Pesa. That's what becomes really confusing really fast. Right, right. So... Um, so while, as, while the problem is pervasive amongst all businesses, it's most, it's mostly that the pain is really most in those businesses that have 
significant amount of daily payments, not by amount, but by numbers. Got it. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at businesses, mm-hmm. yeah, the volume. So the businesses that have uh, that that have quite a lot of petty cash on hand, mm-hmm. um, businesses that need their employees to spend on their behalf. So mm-hmm. employees who are out there, like salespeople, drivers, messengers, um, you know, all all needing to spend and either come and get a reimbursement or uh, be given cash advances. They can they can spend right from the app. Um, mm-hmm. Petty cash, the accountants can spend right from the app. And then businesses that have a lot of casual labor. So at the end of the week, they're having to pay uh, dozens of, of workers. And ideally, it is safest to pay them directly to their mobile wallets or to their bank accounts. Yeah. And need a system to do that really efficiently. Yeah, so I don't go as far as to say specific industries, but any business that operates that way, because you could find a, an, an industry that was traditionally very cash heavy, but right. they digitized already and opted. Or you, and you might find a, a, a business that should be cash light, but its directors are just not, do not operate that way. They always want to operate in cash. Down to the personalities of who is running the business and the finance teams. This is, and I wanted to kind of start here because yours is a unique solution and I wanted to make sure that we hit it and unpack it so that the audience can track with us, right? We can talk about payments and spend management, but the specifics of how it works, I think is important because category creation is, is a challenging and exciting opportunity in, in and of itself. Because the first challenge is you got to explain it to people, right? So they can understand, you know, what you're doing. But the other thing is like, you know, you have a virgin market, so to speak, in a sense. Uh, is that how you would categorize your experience so far before we before we dive into like the journey here? Just give give us a sense of what your experience has been in category creation, which is which is I think is a fascinating thing to do. Yeah, category creation uh, is really hard. Uh, you know, you're you you might be building a solution, but at the same time, you're having to educate people not just on what the solution is, but where it even fits into um, what they currently do because they have been paying, they have been accounting, they have been reconciling. It's just what amount of pain have they been going through? But you see, if if you've been doing something painfully for so long, it just becomes (laughs) a dull ache. Yeah, you're so used to it. It's just a dull ache that sometimes you don't even realize you have any more. Right. So for somebody to point out to you that that is actually a problem um, can be a challenge. So I'd say the biggest challenge we have is educating the customer on the pain point and that we are a solution and getting them to pay attention for enough time to really understand what we are proposing. And then from there, it gets really easy because um, it is such a huge pain point just that it has not been addressed for um, for a long, long time. Right, right. And, and you know, the, the question begs, category creation, how has, how did the pandemic impact you guys? Was it, was it net positive? What, what was that experience for you guys? Like, did it move you forward? Yes, it moved us forward. Um, we, we, in the early part of the p- pandemic, we had about a hundred percent increase in business without any increase in marketing. Mm-hmm. So um, this was really on the back of how um, our tool supports remote working. Right. So immediately, you know, uh, people were all locked up at home and not visiting the office. 
then the first kind of tools I think that that saw a lot of uptake were communication tools, right? Like right. this one we are on right now. Mm -hmm. um, people needed to, to collaborate uh, between, you know, all teams uh, and leadership and management remotely. Mm -hmm. So similarly, uh, payments were also hindered because when people are in the office, the accountant generates a requisition. They take it to a manager to sign. Maybe a director has to co-sign above other certain amounts. They then get a messenger in to, to take the check over. Right. Or, uh, you know, the accountant goes to the bank, withdraws some cash on Monday, comes and keeps it all week, and they're disbursing the petty cash. Right. So, of course, people went to the office together. You couldn't go to the banks. Um, so our so solution came in to allow... Uh, payments really to be initiated remotely, authorized remotely, and with all the documentation and paperwork that gives visibility to authorizers on what are they actually paying for at all times. Mm -hmm. And then employees who needed to just get on with, with um, moving around or paying for small expenditures on their own, our solution came in to allow them access to company funds remotely. When they spent, the finance team sitting at home and the directors would have visibility on each transaction every employee is making. So it was hugely relevant. Um, and actually, um, interestingly enough, the largest company in the US that is in our category called Bill.com um, saw the fastest growth of any company whatsoever in the world during the pandemic, it went up more than 6x in its share price, simply on the back of the same uh, sort of use cases I'll, I've, I've mentioned. Uh, so, yeah, we are much smaller, much younger. I'm hoping to get there someday, but we're definitely in the right direction. That's exciting. This is fascinating stuff. So, I guess the question begs, right? Like, were you always a hair on fire entrepreneur, right? And, and when I met you, you know, in the beginnings of Popote, you also you had another business prior to that that led to this and all that. We can, we'll dive into that. But, you know, when you're a young person, were you always like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur? What was your, and, and how did you end up there, right? If it wasn't. So t tell us about that. Well, for me, I, I, I grew up in what I would call an entrepreneurial household mm -hmm. where um, my parents were professionals. But when I was very young, my mother left banking and she was essentially um, a stay-at-home mom who had a full-time job supporting my father, who was um, more of the entrepreneur creating opportunities that then needed looking after, right? Mm -hmm. In traditional sectors, maybe like, um, uh, you know, building construction, rentals, etc. Mm -hmm. So I think I always saw that kind of happening, but in a very traditional sense. So I think the component that that um, is, is really a matter of personality is the context of innovation. Mm. So people see the world differently. And I think um, innovators uh, who, who become entrepreneurs in an innov innovative sort of um, context have to be like sponges mm. for what's actually going, them around, going on around them and seeing signs and problems and thinking of solutions, just, you know, solutions just bubbling at the back of their minds. So I think, um, yeah, I think as a child, I was kind of that person who's always tinkering and, you know, always thinking of 
just a little bit deeper around simple childhood challenges um, in the playground, et cetera, than others may, may, may sometimes uh, be, be going to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that that maybe has what 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 what's translated over the years to me going in this direction of of being an entrepreneur in an innovative field. Right. What about education? So, what was your education path, and and how do you think it relates or it doesn't relate to you know enabling you to become an innovator? <laughs> uh, so yeah. So I, I my 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 personal feeling is that in education education allows you to spend enough time socializing and being around people and learning to conform to society's norms. <laughs> and yeah, really you don't want to be a pariah. You have to live with other people. Right. But to be honest, I think some I think so many of us are not doing anything related to what even our college degrees were. Right. Um now that I have kids, sometimes you know you'll try and help a child with some homework and and you get lost somewhere along the way and you're like, you know, I really should know this. So so I think um, education is really important as, as part of the journey, but how much do we actually lean back on? Um, I'm not sure. Um, what I would say is that because I went through sort of the sciences, I do think there's some kind of um, analytical thinking. Right. That, that has helped with, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, especially if you're if, if you're working on building software and things that need to interconnect and tie in a lot of different pieces, it's really like putting a jigsaw puzzle together, which really, really speaks to analytical and process thinking mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and design-led thinking as well. And yeah, without needing to. You know, people can go for such courses and stuff, but I think some of these subjects uh, potentially do help. Um, I don't have data, but I think uh, people that may be excelled at sciences may have a slight upper hand in some of these uh, technology-based fields. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Gives you that analytical thinking process, that systems thinking, connecting dots. Yeah, which is all vital in a world that is moving at 100 miles an hour and things are changing, you know. In, in multiple fields and, and, and that whole experience. So I guess the question I, I, I always, for me, the thing that always um, fascinates me is the aha moment, right? How people get to, holy cow, there's a problem here that is solvable and it's big uh, or potentially worth taking a run at. And what was your aha moment in terms of this category that there needs to be something that needs to be built here? Because category creation takes a lot of, conviction right so what was how did you get there right um yeah so for me i think um i think i found you know i i'll actually actually take a step back and actually just declare i do not consider myself like a consummate entrepreneur because there are people that are so good at seeing an opportunity packaging as a solution and running a hundred miles an hour and getting it to market and they can be relentless and then you have those that sometimes are so um, captured by solving the problem and may even solve it and then not take it to market because part of, part of the goal was to satisfy their own curiosity. <laughs> yeah. Scratch their itch. Yes, as you yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, the, and, and that is actually 
the biggest accomplishment. You know, a lot of uh, what you might call nutty professors are like that, right? So they're yeah. best in uh, education or field because they can invent stuff, but they're never going to have the drive to take it to market. Right. Um, so I think I actually fall in between. I just wanted to mention that before I give the, give the answer in case I then mm-hmm. lose anybody. So my aha moment was realizing that this was a massive problem for myself, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And therefore my motivation was not actually originally to build a company. It was to solve my own problem. So like you mentioned, when we first met, I was running a kitchen, kitchen company called Foresight kitchen uh, wardrobe manufacturing company mm-hmm. and I had founded that and it had grown to a level that I found that every day most of my time was taken trying to oversee expenditure yeah. I didn't have a problem overseeing income because a client comes and gives you a check and you take it to the bank right. it does your wire transfer easy to track those it's exciting to track income mm-hmm. but then you got to make payments um, so it's going to be you're paying casuals, you're paying permanent staff, you're paying suppliers, you're paying utility right. vendors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you have, uh, in our case, we have installation teams moving across the country that need to buy stuff as and when they're on the road. You have drivers fueling cars. You have accidents sometimes happening, breakdowns. There's a myriad of things that yeah. you find expenditure for me was completely out of control. Right. Mm. And Unfortunately, you know, most fraud uh, within companies happens on the expensing side of things. Mm-hmm. So I had very low confidence in the, you know, in the integrity of all the payments we were paying out, especially the smaller value, more frequent ones. Right. And the statistics that show that up to 30% of uh, petty cash is actually just lost, you know, what you might call petty cash and ad hoc payments. Mm-hmm. It's just lost through these sort of pilferage and supply collisions, et cetera. Right. So my aha moment was actually a trip I, I did to the States. Mm-hmm. I was supposed to have been gone for two weeks. I ended up being gone for seven. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I hadn't put in place, you know, very good systems to, mm-hmm. to be absent for that long. So I had, I had to remotely... Uh, I, all I had is online credentials to my um, sort of uh, company bank account. Right. So all I would do is log in and then send uh, money to employees' personal accounts and phones and say, use this for the company. I was the only check signatory. <laughs> I was the only, I, I was the only one with the online credentials. Right. And yeah, and that, you know, that's a life of many small businesses. They literally are prisoners. You have to be in the office all the time, signing checks. You can't be away for any extended period of time. Right. So when that happened, mm-hmm. and um, I believe I have relatively good people, but I had. But when I came back, I just could not account for so much of the expenditure. Right. And it have been a whole other task to try and go through all the books for the period, mm-hmm. look for every single payment of three, four, 500 bob mm-hmm. at the end of it, adding up to hundreds of thousands of shillings that I was unsure about. So that was my aha moment. And I just thought to myself, uh, this is going to be the death of me. I can't just be. Uh, this is not what I signed up for. This is not what I started. Yeah, this, is what I, this is not what I signed up for. I, I was, I wanted to do other things. I, this can't be life <laughs> as an entrepreneur or as, as a small and growing business owner. So I really thought, 
I have an idea of how this can be sorted. And that's, that was my hard moment. Yeah. And you build software before, or, you know, because you had to be able to see how it can be solved digitally, you have to have seen digital solutions. So were you a software tinkerer? Were you, how, how did you connect that dot in terms of saying, I can see how this can be put into like solved this by, by, by writing software. So no, I'm not a software developer, but I had be, built software before through um, partnering or working very closely with software developers. And that's what I've even done on this journey. So uh, the way I look at it is like this. My background is actually civil engineering, right? So mm -hmm. originally uh, when I was employed, I worked with a civil engineering consultancy. And what we did as consultants is we would design and put forward, put together specifications, et cetera, say for a building or a road, and then uh, a contractor would build it. Mm -hmm. So I think that was, that's always been my thinking that if you can conceptualize and come up with some kind of design processes, they don't even have to be any professional sort of standard. Right. And then find fantastic software developers that you can work really closely with to translate that into reality, which is a software solution in right. their world. Then you could potentially achieve even more than if you were a software developer, because sometimes when you know too much, you're constrained by your own potentially mediocrity, because there's some young people who are so good at what they do but you got to just let them do it. So when you're a bit ignorant on what they're doing, you actually give them a wider berth, right? And, and you can get some really fantastic uh, results. So that was my journey. I had already developed a, um, a software solution that was on the market, even at the time that I had this aha moment mm -hmm. uh, in partnership. And then, yeah, so I got two amazing uh, developers uh, to come in as part of my early founding team. And we've been together since. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, and they've built an amazing solution. Uh, that's on the yeah, that's, that's fascinating. Uh, one of the things I've, I've always thought about you is you're super resourceful, right? Um, and, you know, no accident, you're where you are with Popote. And, and the question then becomes, okay, you, you have this aha moment, you've got this furniture installation business, you know, kitchen installation business, and now you're starting to design software in your mind, and now you're going to bring people to start building that. It just, you know, how did you find that process? Because at the end of the day, was it out of pocket? What was your idea to traction funding narrative? How did you put that together? Bootstrapped? What, how, did that, how did that come together? Um, so fortunately, nowadays with cloud uh, solutions, the startup cost of getting an idea to a sort of minimum viable pro software product is quite low. From except the except, except some for the for the for the talent. The talent is still expensive, right? Generally speaking, right? To get the developers yeah. who are quality developers, especially right now. Maybe maybe when we were you were doing this 2018, whenever that was. But right now it's crazy, right? So um, yeah, continue with your thought. Yeah. So yeah, you're you're absolutely correct. So there's the the capex, and then let's the opex can be higher because um, you're gonna you're gonna have to to pay these recurring expenses of uh, building a team. So for me, I think, I think what worked is that I had a young team and convinced them of, on the vision. Mm -hmm. Therefore, um, without benchmarking, chances are I was not 
paying the market rate because mm -hmm. uh, they had joined my vision and that mm -hmm. vision included, uh, uh, you know, uh, being shareholders, my founding team, um, are shareholders in the company today, and we are all still together. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so, um, I think that's one thing that worked for me and then works in, I'd recommend it, you know, in pretty much every software sales, every, every software company where, uh, the founder or co-founders want to build something and need skills that they do not have within them mm -hmm. in the early days to get going. And then I think the other thing that worked is being able to decide what is our core competency and what we can partner or integrate into. So mm -hmm. for instance, we went out to build a payments platform. We were going to build a new user experience around payments, but let the payment platforms deliver the payment on our, on our behalf, mm. right? So we weren't going to try and have a journey where we are recreating payment rails, such as right. mobile money rails that exist or banking rails that exist. Mm. Now, saying that, it was really, really painful waiting to be able to partner with those organizations that we needed. That was the hugest delay we had because mm -hmm. you're totally at the mercy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You're, you're really reliant on third parties. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, the, the, the space we're getting into was also complicated. It's a regulated space. So you want to partner with those people that have already, those organizations that have got all their licensing in order. It's a space that requires a lot of trust before the customer can use your solution. So you okay. want to also be relying on very trustworthy partners to actually move cold store and move the money around. Right. So we chose just to build what the customer is using as an interface and mm -hmm. then connect into these organizations right. to the back end. Mm -hmm. uh, so that, of course, that scenario may, may not be possible for many companies. Uh, it's in our case, uh, being that our solution moves money around, um, working with third parties was was evident. Mm. Um, yeah, and I think just just at the high level, being open to to knowing what, learning what you you probably don't know because if you're creating a new category, then there's so much you don't know. So so much of our progress came just by listening to others, what's going on in the market. Uh, you might take a meeting, say, with a bank to talk about one thing, but you leave with insights completely about another thing that was right. maybe equally or more important, and you did, you really didn't know what's important until you hear it. Mm -hmm. I think over time, this has shown in our solution that is, has evolved so much from what my original concept was to being so powerful today that it's in use by pretty much companies across every single industry. And a lot of that, we can't credit ourselves um, because it was really by being open and keeping on listening that to customers and partners that, that we are where we are today. Yeah, and, and that's so, I, I look at this and even as, you, as you're talking, I'm thinking, and I'm saying, you know, founder problem fit is a concept that is not spoken much about in, in our market, but it's to me, I think it's so fundamental. It, it, it's, 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 fast. it's almost like a first principle of being able to project whether somebody doing, the person doing something will be successful, right? In that thing. Because in a sense, 
I feel like only somebody like you could have actually taken this journey and got to where you have got to, right? Because to your earlier point, you know, software engineers can tend to really get into the bells and whistles of the thing they're building and not necessarily value taking meetings with potential partners, right? But you're a business systems thinker. You had already built a business. So you are comfortable in this idea of, yeah, let me actually take meetings. Let me look for partners. Let me actually do the business thing. And from there, it was able to lead you to these other insights, right? To actually expand the product. And you could make decisions that I'm not going to build the full stack. I'm just going to build the business logic layer. Those are very strategic decisions that if somebody's really good at software, they may say, you know what, I'll build the full, the full thing, whatever, right? Um, so founder, I, I think the point I'm making here is that I think your founder problem fit is, 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 is almost perfect in this particular sense, in, in my view. And then you had this unique market entry strategy, right? Uh, working with a corporate partner, which typically doesn't necessarily, it can go either way, right? If you're going to work with a big corporate as your market entry strategy or a significant partner, it can become a problem. So what, talk a little bit about that, Sam. Like, you know, what was your market entry strategy, if, if you can share that with us? Yeah, so, yeah, again, working from my own experiences, so I think we've done a couple of things right that you, that you mentioned, but there, there could also be loads of improvements, even when I look back in terms of the speed we've moved at. And, mm. and, you know, others even in similar sectors have done things a bit differently. So I think um, the, what I've derived really from our experience is, you know, you try and know what you're really good at. And then very early on, bring in um, others that complement you. So every idea is going to potentially be generated by one person or maybe the maybe two or three people bounced it off each other early enough that they can actually be all um, credited with the idea. But then that's not even, you know, 5% of what it takes on a company, right? Mm -hmm. So from depending on what that founding situation looked like, whether it was one person or a couple, um, I think the first thing is just to be really open to bringing on um, bring on other people really fast. So if you are an engineer, chances are you're going to concentrate so much time on building the solutions, like you said, and forget that this solution actually has to go to market. Probably um, somebody else might concentrate so much on the market, forget that there's investors that potentially could be required if the business model is not self-sustaining from early on. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so I think that's just something about being self-aware and I think right. you don't want to let self-awareness be something dictated by age like you have to just try and be self-aware as early as you can and as young as you as you can as soon as you decide to go on that journey because you need other people and really nobody has ever done it alone so um, yeah that's I think in a nutshell that's what I'm saying are you able to speak about some of your early key partners? Is that something you've, you can talk about or do you have some kind of legal lock-in that you can speak to them? Because I, I have inside information and that they were pretty critical uh, or maybe not, maybe things changed. Those were some years back when we were talking. Are you, are you able to speak in specifics around that? Yeah, yeah, that's no problem. So because we are a solution that needed to deliver payments, um, we needed to connect into the most ubiquitous payment infrastructure so that if a customer or a user of Popota needed to 
you know, pay you, mm -hmm. they could do that without any difficulty. Mm -hmm. So the way, you know, the way we thought about that is which, who is the most ubiquitous at the time? Yeah. In Kenya. So it was, yes. So it is. And in fact, Kenya should just change its name to that name, right? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So we were fortunate enough to, um, to partner with a Safaricon mm -hmm. and get onto the payment rails. Immediately, they introduced that G2 platform, which offered APIs to third parties. Right. And our solution then, which was already ready and we had piloted, uh, without integration, then could actually work, right? So that was in 2017 when that became possible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so M-Pesa are key partners for us in uh, delivering payments because um, if you want to pay somebody a, a small value amount, then chances are they want it to their phone and, and uh, not their bank account. Right. Um, however, if you want a larger amount, we can still use our, part our partnership to deliver Deliver to till numbers, pay bills, bank accounts, etc. Right. And, and you know, I, I, I want to dig into here and extract some kind of lesson because there's a lesson here. It, it, and I'm hoping you, you can share this. That experience of partnering with a big corporate, and maybe things have changed now, maybe the APIs are more open, they've realized the importance of partnership, but that wasn't the case before. And, you know, talk a little bit about the risk of relying too heavily on a big corporate because they move at their own pace. As a startup, man, you're dying every day. You know, maybe describe how, looking back, right? Like, what was that like? And what advice would you give to somebody who's considering something similar, right? In terms of what they should know going into these types of engagements as, an, as, a, as a small startup going against the Goliath, relying on the Goliath. Okay. Right. So, yeah. So maybe um, I'll, I'll um, just put a sort of caveat that my advice is not generally simply because of my own experiences, but more because of what I've also seen with others right? and the, the pitfalls that can occur. So, you know, it's really a challenging thing, first of all, even getting the attention of the big corporates and explaining what you want to do and the value that you're going to offer to them. Right. Um, given their given their support, right? And what a behavior to paint a picture that shows how you will scale mm -hmm. to a level that really then becomes interesting for them. Right. And these big organizations at the end of the day, they are an assembly of individuals, right? Right. So I think <laughs> different interests and sometimes competing interests and yes. political realities. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you know, so I think um, in approaching any organization, it's important to understand the DNA of that organization, understand, um, you know, is the leadership um, pro-innovators, is it pro-entrepreneurs, or right. are they, we're going to do everything in-house, in we listen to ideas because we're really looking for what we can cream off the top and then not call you back. Right. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's part of the story there, right? In, historically around this, this market, but go ahead. Yeah. So, so this market is, is, is fraught with, with such, um, such examples. And um, so you need to be cautious, but not cautious to the extent that you hinder your own ability to execute. Right. Right. Got a fine line. Gotta, yeah. There's a fine line of, of walking. And I think part of that is, just really finding the good people in these organizations that will 
will, you know, listen to the pitch, be clear about the benefits you're going to bring to the organization. Mm -hmm. And I think it's getting easier because when we started fintech, the word fintech was just, you know, starting to become a bit, a bit widespread partnerships with fintechs, for instance, banks and telcos partnering with the fintech industry was really nascent. And a lot of that has changed and COVID has also helped. So a lot of these organizations now have departments tasked with sourcing innovation or bringing in innovation in a way that even protects the innovators um, a little bit. Uh, So, yeah, so by and large, just to exercise caution, but remember at the end of the day, every, every innovator thinks their idea is the next sliced bread. (laughs) <laughs> As they should, fact, otherwise they wouldn't be doing it. <laughs> yeah, you you need that you need that to wake up every day. But chances are, an idea that is birthed at a certain time has is because there are, there are signs of the times going on, and more than one right. people could have person could have noticed it. Right. Therefore, you want to be able to act fast and. You want to also be able to take feedback and not be so hell-bent on the format of your idea because sometimes you might meet these large organizations and just being open to tweaking it or, or you know, bending a little bit to how they would want to configure things in, work, in a working relationship with you as a startup could actually change whether you get a callback or not. Right, right. Right. A little bit of exercising that kind of mat- uh, maturity and emotional intelligence uh, be- and remembering that you're not dealing with an organization. A lot of the time you're dealing with individuals, with personalities, with uh, biases. Yeah. Uh, with their own daily realities of how they are, yeah. they are measured in the company. Yeah, their own KPIs. KPIs. That's a really important one. Right. Um, right. So people, you might have the greatest idea and people really want to help you, but they're like, <laughs> you know what? There's no, my bonus at the end of the year just will not go up. And I might even be in trouble because of the amount of time and heavy lifting that I have to do. <laughs> and yet the, our, the organization will make revenue, but it's not structured to reward me for that, you know? Right, right. So, yeah. So question for you, looking back on all that, right? What, what, what do you do different knowing what you know right now, right? Like looking back at that journey, would you do anything different? In regards to how you enter the market, big partner, would you change that strategy or within that strategy, would you do anything different? In my particular case, um, and I only mentioned one, so I, I can't really be holistic unless I mention our other partner. So our other big partner is Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Um, so we run off their cloud completely. We've been the beneficiary of uh, a number of grants from them, both in monetary and in um consultations and skills, et cetera. So you need the place for us. We needed where does our platform sit securely and, and how does it process payments? So since then we have, we have other partnerships that have come in place, but I think at our core level to sort of get a solution up and running, those who are, re- are, are really our, our foundation partners. So would I have done anything differently? I think we did the best we could because as I mentioned, times were different when right. we we, we kicked this off 2017. As I said, we onboarded onto these APIs in 2017 because that is when they became available. Right. Uh, there's no way we could have pushed availability of 
they can so find it on the agenda, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so post thereafter, I think we could have done things a little bit differently in controlling our own destiny a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So, so with partners um, wanting you to go a certain direction in your engagement with them, as I said, it's a very fine line between walking that um, path and, and staying true to your own vision. Mm-hmm. So I, we, we did waste a little bit of time um, by being a little bit too, um, too willing to, to do what the, the, large, the, the larger partners would do. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it was also a, a matter of capital availability. So venture capital, you know, in 2021, for instance, I think I saw a statistics that that startups in 2021, especially in fintech, raised more in the one year of 2021 than they, than they raised in the previous 10 years, sort of wow. between 2011 to 20, uh, 2020, right? Is that global or just Africa? Africa, Africa specifically. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, Africa has just exploded in 2021, right? And still yeah. continuing to do so right now. Yeah, so that means um, with more access to capital, you can control your destiny more, right? Because part of the reason startups uh, align themselves with large corporate partnerships is because it takes away a lot of expenditure. Mm-hmm. For instance, a large corporate can give you access to, you know, a thousand customers overnight. Yeah. yeah. Where, which, which would cause cost you huge amounts in advertising right. and time to achieve the same thing. Right. So, yeah. So I think, um, yeah, we did the best we could for our time, but uh, going back, yes, I would, I would say we'd have probably tried to raise more capital early, do a lot more direct to market initiatives to get uh, customers on our solutions faster mm-hmm. and control our, what you might call independent growth as opposed to partner Partner-led growth, yeah. growth, partner-led growth. Um, yeah, we'd have done that better. Fantastic. So as we wrap up here, I just want to kind of make sure we kind of give people a picture of where you are as a business, right? 2017, you have the aha moment, you bring on a couple of devs, you start working on the, on the product, on the initial MVP. So where are you guys right now in terms of your key, before we even go into that, what, is your, what are your key KPIs as a, as a business? So what's your North Star metric? How do you measure your business? Is it number of customers, yeah. transactions run through the platform? What are your KPIs? Uh, so our KPIs are number of customers, transactional volume, mm-hmm. and uh, those are that's that's on the direct side, and then um, go to market partnerships as opposed to the infrastructure partnerships I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can also call them channel partners, the ones that can give us distribution. Got it. Got it. So. Yeah, you want to talk about number of customers you have right now? What's what's your customer count? Yeah, so so we're still in a bit of stealth. What I can say is that we have several uh, hundred business customers and several thousand individuals. Awesome. But we and we are now getting to where we can convince our channel partners. Not our natural channel partner partners are banks, right? Mm-hmm. So businesses make payments out of bank accounts right. um, much more than they would out of mobile wallets, for instance. Mm-hmm. So we enable businesses to make those payments out of multiple bank accounts because many are multi-banked as well as out of 
mobile wallets all on one platform that then gives them one view on all their expenditure regardless of where funds came from. So we are, we are, we will soon be announcing bank partnerships um, that we have uh, recently signed and will be going to market. Mm -hmm. And we believe that's where the next level of growth will come from um, uh, and accelerate even beyond the direct uh, customer acquisition, which we've really done to prove to the industry that our solution uh, works very well. Fantastic. Headcount, number of em em employees at, at the company right now? Okay, uh, we are really, really um, tech-based, so we run pre a pretty tight ship. That's um, fantastic. We have, uh, yeah, we have under 10 employees. Um, That's awesome. Mm -hmm. We enter into uh, subcontracting or freelancing engagements as and when we need to, but it's a 100% tech company as opposed to a tech-enabled company, so we're able to do that. That's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, Instagram got acquired, I think, for a billion. They had six employees. Yeah. Something crazy like that. Um, but yeah, so what does the future look like? What's the, what's the opportunity here? Um, and, and before we even go that, are, are you raising anytime soon? Are you raising around? And if so, how much and when? Um, and then what's the future? What's, this, what's a possible opportunity for Popote? What's the market opportunity here? Yeah, so we are currently um, raising. Uh, we disclose the amount really to um, inquirers serious inquiries that wish to participate to us. We have venture capital firms on board, but because we are really an indigenous company, we are really trying to encourage investment by, by locals at all mm -hmm. levels. And we've actually created um, a specific SPV to allow participation of local investors in technology. Because, you know, the big chunks are really nowadays all going to foreign VCs. And uh, that's okay, but it would be amazing to also create a cohort of local investors that started a little bit investing a bit early and can be the next VCs of tomorrow. Right. So, um, so I just like to mention that anybody feels that they're in that category and would, would like to reach out, um, uh, they should. Um, so what is our journey? Um, we have just scratched the surface at our level of growth there you know, companies are still using cash checks as their primary forms of payment. They are struggling with managing spend, uh, reconciliation, accounting, and getting any data uh, off those records. Um, so we believe that every single company, doesn't matter what it does, needs to use purported pay, mm -hmm. increase their efficiency, lower their costs, reduce the fraud and pilferage that uh, is highly likely happening, even if um, it may not be uh, on the surface. And by using Popotepe, a company also builds data that then allows it to easier access our loans from our partner financial institutions. So that's another component of why it's important right. to go digital. Mm -hmm. And because digital allows you to have records that are absolutely accurate and they can be analyze really fast in a way that can be submitted to a third party to make a decision, right? Like a lending decision. Right. That's what we do. So because we have a blue ocean ahead of us, it's really about growth. We believe that um, we can really be a ubiquitous solution in Kenya within the next two to three years. Mm -hmm. And the problem we are solving is everywhere in the world, but it's more prevalent in emerging markets. So right. for instance, in a first world country, 
a messenger may be able to pay for, I don't know, an Uber and wait even a month for a reimbursement, right? Mm -hmm. Because wages are just that much higher. But here, um, people uh, live a little bit more, ca more hand to mouth. So if an employee spends a little bit of money, you want to reimburse them as fast as possible, right? Right. So the next best level even from that is actually enable that employee just to spend the company's funds safely. So there's actually zero delay. They never use their own money. They never had to be given a cash advance because it has its own risks. Um, they just pay to the endpoint and the company has visibility on that payment. So that's just to give you an example why the, PIM, the problem of spend management is more prevalent in developing markets, right? So, um, so yeah, we are, we are looking forward to start the journey of expanding across Africa soon. And we believe that we will end up in the development, developing countries such as in South America, Asia, Caribbean, et cetera, you know, within the decade. Fantastic. Sounds good. So you have a unicorn in your hands. Yeah, I believe we have a decacorn in our hands. Um, there you go. That's what I've been waiting for you to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God willing, uh, we'll, we'll make it happen and create the sort of attention that Africa needs because uh, there are so many other differentiated solutions out here by entrepreneurs building amazing teams. And they need, we need a few examples of successes to generate the attention that will help, help all these companies grow. Fantastic. Look, I'm excited about what you're doing. New category, huge category emerging market solution. Fantastic, man. I, th I think Pocote can become a Decacon, just as you said. So look, I really enjoyed talking to you today. Thanks for taking the time to be to do the podcast with us, Sam. All right. Thanks, Mark. I really appreciate the platform you're giving us and connecting the ecosystem and look forward to seeing you soon. All right. Sounds good.